Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Low Tallest, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. Consequence Podcast Network. Last summer was really hard. If you're listening to this sometime in the future, first of all, sorry, good luck. Sounds awful. Secondly, I'm talking about the summer of 2020. If 1968 was the summer of love, the summer of 2020 was the opposite of that. We were in the middle of a giant question mark when it came to the coronavirus. We were just a few months away from a presidential election that was one of the most divisive in this country's history, and that's really saying something. And the murder of a man named George Floyd in Minneapolis, Minnesota, by a police officer, set off a wave of protests across the U.S. and the world. Every day last summer felt like the day in Do the Right Thing, especially for black Americans. It was so hot. And there was this feeling that we were in a powder keg. And we were just unable to stop this huge spark of racial tension that would set the whole thing off. Not to mention that tens of millions of people were unemployed. All of that together meant people had time to focus on that 8 minutes and 46 seconds to take to the streets and express their anger and frustration and hurt. In Washington, D.C., during one of the many Black Lives Matter protests that occurred while the world watched and waited for the officer who took George Floyd's life to be charged, a man named Kenny Sway led a crowd of people in a sing-along of a Bill Withers song. Only a megaphone, Sway brought a city block's worth of tired, devastated protesters together with the lyrics to a nearly 50-year-old song. Bill Withers had passed away just a couple of months prior. But over the course of his career, starting with his Just As I Am album, he made exactly the kind of music that would ensure that disenfranchised voices would be singing his words long after he'd gone. In this episode, we'll get to know Mr. Withers' protest spirit, his life as a black man, and the mind that harbored those multitudes. For the Consequence Podcast Network and Sony Legacy, I'm Jill Hopkins. 
and this is the opus. Say it loud. Washington, D.C. and Kenny Sway were not the only protesters who took Bill Withers' music to the streets. Activists in Asbury Park, New Jersey, in Iowa City, Iowa, and lots of other places also fostered solidarity with the lyrics to 1972's Lean On Me. What is it about that song and Bill Withers' work at large that makes them the right soundtrack for lifting every voice and singing. Musician Aloe Black, he has a theory. You know, Bill Withers' voice is very authentic. It's genuine. It has the gravel of, of pain and experience. His lyrics have the sagacity and wisdom of, of experience. So all of it comes together in a way that does not offend you. It doesn't push you away. It kind of holds you and wraps you in this, in this blanket of, of humanity. I think that's why it's always the right thing. And it's also not offensive. It's music that can educate you, can help you celebrate, can console you. Uh, there, he has a song for, for every every moment. Fellow musician Jose James has a theory of his own. I think the difference is the level of his songwriting, you know, the depth of it, you know, that I think on a certain level, people have to recognize skill, you know, and greatness and storytelling. And when I think of like, you know, like James Brown, who's like blacker than anybody, right? But his songs are, are much simpler. And I'm not talking about chords, I'm just talking about the form and, and you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And Bill was like, not only like unquestionably black, but like, I think also was unafraid to bring you like an unvarnished black experience. And I think that's what we're talking about. It's like that had never really been heard outside of the blues. An unvarnished black experience. It means something different for each one of us who happens to be black. But what did it mean for Mr. Withers? His grandfather was born a slave. His father and that generation were in the coal mines, pretty much. And he escaped by doing nine years in the Navy, you know, if that you call that an escape. And got an engineering degree from the Navy, and he couldn't get a, a job as a black man, you know. And you're just like, man. And still... After all of that, turned around and gave us lean on me, you know? And I feel like that is like just this deep truth of like the spirit and the joy and the like unquenchable spirit of, of Black Americans, where it's like no matter what we have to endure, no matter what fires you put us through, you know, it's still our rise, you know? And he's mm -hmm. just like, I'm not going to. I'm not going to go pop on you. I'm not going to be bitter. I'm not going to give you my, my worst self. I'm going to give you the best self, a friendship song. 
that blows my mind to this day. And I don't know if he was some kind of saint or what. <laughs> you know, I know we all, you know, we're, none of us are perfect, but in terms of, of music, you know, I, I think certain people just hit a, a place of like, I don't know, enlightenment or, or God touches them in a certain way where they just give them that gift and, and they are like vessels for it. Now, I'm not here to speculate on Bill Withers' divine motives, but what I do know is that his experience as a black man in America was as relatable in 1971 as it is in 2021. Went tonight in Harlem Oh, oh, radiator won't get hot Well, the mean old landlord He don't care if I freeze to death or not In a 1972 interview with the New York Times' Clayton Riley, who himself was a hugely important voice of black empowerment, a few things really jump off the page. First of all, it's two black men on either side of the reporter's notebook, which wasn't really a, a thing, or a common thing, anyway, back then. Another was an incident that they talk about with a press agent. He was from the office that represented Withers at the time, and he insisted on sitting in on their interview, even though neither Withers nor Riley wanted him to be there. Withers told Riley, after they'd finally got him to leave, there's an example of why I can get really murderous around these people. Here's a white boy with a job I could never, never get in this life, who's going to tell me the conditions under which two black men, two grown-up cats, me and you, can sit down and talk. Dig that. A boy who, just because he is white, can tell a black man how to have his dinner. Later on, in talking about how Post Still Bill, his second album, released very quickly after the first in 1972, he wanted to focus on his own compositions, and not on what higher-ups at his label wanted him to play. He said, One thing I'm very aware of now. If you record someone else's material, they make it big off your efforts. Too many black artists get conned into doing so-called standards, songs by white writers who make the big money while the recording artists go hungry. Taylor's old as time, right? Here's Aloe Black. When you look at the optics, black man, music industry, public figure, the weight of every statement and every activity, every action is much heavier because more people see it, right? If you're on a blue collar job and someone makes an off color comment, 
the two people around you might hear it. When you are a musician in the music industry and you're being told or uh, pushed to do certain things, the whole world ends up hearing it and seeing it. And I, I feel you know strongly about that. I think that certainly has affected the way that I engage the music business because these racial tensions don't end, right? The same uh, individuals who were in the business back then are executives now, and some of them have passed, but you know, I just watched the uh, documentary on Tina Turner and the executive who almost didn't allow her career to blossom used a racial epithet against her. And that, I believe, is not uncommon. We just don't hear the stories. And this is, this is ultimately what I feel that Mr. Withers was uh, dealing with. Like when he, he was saying he didn't want to put horns in his music, I think there was probably a push because of the black exploitation era where horns were in everybody's music that he felt like, no, this is, I'm not going to be part of the black exploitation era in that way and have what he called black spurts telling me their expert opinion on what my music should sound like because I'm black. So yeah, he certainly held his, held his ground. The ability to hold our ground, to take up space, to have a seat at the table, to be at the head of the table are huge parts of why people, even after that officer in Minneapolis was charged, tried, and convicted of the murder of George Floyd, march to be heard and recognized. When Bill Withers died in March of 2020, Lenny Kravitz shared a famous picture of Bill taken during the press run for Just As I Am. In it, he's standing in front of yet another brick wall. Apparently brick walls were all the rage in the early 1970s. Someone beforehand had come around and painted the phrase, People Power on that wall. That phrase, at the time, carried a lot of the same weight that Black Lives Matter does today. It says that we, as a collective, as the marginalized, as the minorities, have strength. We have strength even when those with symbolic power or legal power or some sort of delusion of power tell us that we don't. And Bill Withers wrote about that power. He spoke to that power. And he provided the music that lifts up that power on stages and on the streets and in our own hearts and minds. 
Bill Withers retired from the music business in 1985. He was 46 years old. He lived for another 35 years, and we heard his music the entire time. He had a wife and two children who loved him dearly, and he never had to struggle for another dollar, even after he was never paid to record another note. The last song in his first album, Just As I Am, was written from the perspective of a man about to die because he felt he'd failed at life. When Bill's time came, he left behind a legacy that made sure his name would never be forgotten. George Floyd was murdered in 2020. He was 46 years old. He was a much-loved father, too, and a grandfather. But he struggled to provide for them every single day, including on his last. His final words were from the perspective of a man about to die because another man had failed at life. When George's time came, he left behind a legacy, an unfortunate legacy, that made sure his name would never be forgotten. Bill Withers had no idea who George Floyd was. Bill had passed two months prior to George. I, I wish none of us knew who George Floyd was. I wish none of us knew who Breonna Taylor was. I wish none of us knew Trayvon Martin was. I could go on. It would be it would be an episode in and of itself, just reciting names. But on June 9th of 2020, whoever runs Bill Withers' Twitter account shared a psalm in remembrance of George. That person knew Bill well enough to be able to speak to his heart even after his passing. That psalm says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. I've seen that printed in funeral programs. And though I don't, practice any religion, those words still bring me comfort. And I know I said I wasn't here to speculate on Bill Withers' divine motives, and I'm also not here to blaspheme, but if I didn't know any better, I'd say that psalm sounds a lot like lyrics Bill Withers could have written. And maybe that's why his music touches us in our spirit's most heavy time of need. For the Consequence Podcast Network and Sony Legacy, I'm Jill Hopkins, and this is The Opus. I'll see you next time.
Consequence Podcast Network. Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Lo Tolles, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. Keep the music flowing. We'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast.